With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. With your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. With a pending Super Bowl matchup between the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons, we examine the respective stadium histories of these two franchises. NFL Network contributor and historian Scott Silcox reminds us just how close the Patriots came to leaving Foxborough. For the Falcons, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium will be their third. It goes online next year. We'll talk about this stadium's predecessors, including the Georgia Dome, where photographer Rick Tapia shares with us a once-in-a-lifetime assignment, capturing NFL football from the rooftop, suspended directly overhead. Who was the first NBA team to douse the lights for player introductions? Hall of Famer artist Gilmore will tell you the answer. He played for them. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran says this year's Super Bowl tickets appear to be relative bargains. But first, the stadium speed with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, Super Bowl preparations continue at NRG Stadium in Houston ahead of next weekend's big game. This week, the Falcons and Patriots logos were painted in the end zones and the Super Bowl 51 logo was placed at midfield. The NFL answered the big question this week, will the stadium roof be open or closed come Sunday? The league says the plan is to open the roof, but a decision won't be made until minutes before kickoff. The governor of Virginia is claiming he could build a new stadium for the Washington Redskins without taxpayer money. Governor Terry McAuliffe does not hide the fact that he wants the Redskins to build a new stadium in his state. McAuliffe claims 66% of the Redskins season ticket holders live in Virginia. Redskins are also looking at stadium options in D.C. and Maryland. The team's current lease at FedEx Field expires in 2027. Fans of Kansas City Royals pitcher Jordano Ventura gathered at Kauffman Stadium this week to pay their respects to the right-hander who was killed in a car accident in his native Dominican Republic. Joining the fans in the stadium parking lot was Royals pitcher Danny Duffy. And what's better than being at the Super Bowl? How about literally waking up at the Super Bowl? That will be a reality for a lucky fan who wins the Courtyard Marriott Super Bowl Sleepover Contest. The hotel chain is transferring a suite inside NRG Stadium into a guest room hotel. Contest participants were encouraged to post their most passionate NFL fan photo as entry into the contest. 
Bill, that is the very latest. That is neat, Jeff. Thank you. The stage is set now for Super Bowl 51, the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. A very interesting pairing. We're going to trace the stadium histories of these two teams. Very interesting stories. And Scott Silcox is joining us. Uh, He has the info on this. He owns a company called Heritage Sports Art. And the heritage part of it tells you an awful lot about the work this company does and the great interest they have in sports history and how it reflects in the business that they have put together, uniforms, stadium history, unparalleled. Scott, uh, we can open up with the Patriots at the start. And of course, this is what we consider today to be a very successful franchise with their roots in the old American Football League. Uh, But they struggled stadium-wise, especially when you go back to the very early days. Oh, God, well, you're so right, Bill, and, and thanks a lot for having me. This is fun to talk about this, and, and this is as much a hobby as it is a, a living for me, so thanks a lot. A uh, pleasure. Uh, but you're right about the Patriots. You know, they, they started uh, uh, you know, in 1960 in the AFL, um, and, and their first field was Nickerson Field. And if somebody's a, a great baseball fan, they might remember that Boston used to be home of the Boston Braves. Mm-hmm. And the Braves field, that, that uh, baseball field, was basically torn down in the 50s, but they kept just a couple parts of that stadium. And that was the basis of Nickerson Field, where the Patriots began play in, in 1960. And they stayed there for three years. Then they moved to Fenway Park, and, and we don't often think of Fenway Park as being used for football, but it, it was used for football for um, from 1963 to 68. Mm-hmm. And then the Patriots uh, moved a little bit more. They they moved to Boston College's Alumni Stadium for a year in 1969. Then they moved to Harvard's Stadium in 1970. And finally, in 1971, their permanent home in Foxborough was built. Um, and uh, then in 2002, they, they moved to Gillette Stadium, uh, where they, they play today. Let's uh, talk about the Falcons now, who uh, have had a, uh, a very interesting history in Atlanta, a somewhat soft fan base. What about their stadium history? Yeah, the fun thing about the two things to me about the Falcons that are fun, you know, they, they began their first year in the NFL, it was 1966, and they were actually going to be a team in the AFL, the, the rival league to the NFL. And um, when the commissioner found out that um, Atlanta was going to join the AFL, he jumped on a plane and and went and and met Rankin Smith, the the potential owner of the team, and convinced him not to join the AFL, but to join the NFL. And uh, that was kind of all done in a a hurry-up offense um, in 1965 just ahead of the 66 season. But so they played from 1966 to 1991, so for a good 25 years, at Fulton County Stadium. Then they moved to the Georgia Dome in 1992. And one sort of you know, fun fact that, that occurred to me is 
um, just as the Patriots, when they left Foxborough Stadium after the 2001 season, they won the Super Bowl kind of just as they were leaving the stadium. And here we have the Falcons who are leaving the Georgia Dome um, and moving to a new stadium. And so if you're a betting person, that might be one little <laughs> thing you want to take into account um, that, that this could be Atlanta's year. You know, you're a guy uh, who did. keeps a very close eye on uniform history because this works right into the business work that you do. Can you give us a little thumbnail sketch of these two teams from a uniform perspective? The one fun thing about both uniforms is in their first years, so the Patriots' first year, 1960, they had a, a logo on their helmet that was so unusual. It, it was a artist depiction of a kind of a, a New England Patriot tri-corner hat. Um, but if you see a picture of the, that logo that was used on the helmet, you'd be hard-pressed to recognize it as a hat. It just looks like a shape. Um, but it was it was quite unique. And then it had the, the uniform number kind of incorporated into the, into the logo. They only had that for one year, and then they, they moved to Patriot Pat, um, the, the kind of the, the football-style um, Patriot uh, player. Whereas the Falcons in their first year in 1966, they paid tribute to the University of Georgia Bulldogs football team and Georgia Tech's uh, football team by having uh, stripes on their helmet that matched the Georgia Tech. Um, so they had a kind of black and white stripe that, that Georgia had and gold and white stripes that Georgia Tech had. And so for that first year, the, the Falcons had a helmet that had gold, white, and black stripes um, on a red helmet, um, you know, kind of unusual. And again, it kind of only lasted the one season and, and then moved on. Well, that is an excellent picture. And by the way, we'd like to refer everyone to your site, heritagesportsart.com. Give us some information, if you will, on your business, what it is you actually do. I was very lucky for kind of a 15-year period to be a licensee of the NFL and Major League Baseball and NHL and, and a number of U.S. colleges. And we produced products that maybe some of your listeners might have hanging in their home or office, primarily posters that showed how the, uh, a particular team's uniform evolved through the years. And, and these horizontally formatted posters would kind of show 15 or 18 uniforms of a particular team and, and how they evolved. So those paintings that, that are being sold on heritage sports art. So if somebody was really a, you know, a, a fan of their team and loved art, it would be a fun purchase for somebody to consider making. Scott Silcox is our guest from HeritageSportsArt.com, and we thank him for the visit. Now, coming up, stay tuned. We are going to head to the rafters of the Georgia Dome for a never-before-seen NFL football experience with photographer Rick Tapia, the most amazing view in sports, and it's next. We'll talk about it on SB Nation Radio. like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep. Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. 
Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. The Georgia Dome in Atlanta has finished its service life as an NFL stadium, but boy, did it go out in style, huh? Not only with last week's ball game, which got the Atlanta Falcons into the Super Bowl, but over and above that, the week before, in which we have a fascinating story to tell you, and to help us with it, is a photographer by the name of Rick Tapia. And Rick is a guy who took a parachute to work when he showed up for this assignment because he went up on the catwalk that is suspended way over the top of the Georgia Dome, used his considerable photography skills to get some breathtaking video of playoff football, the game between the Falcons and the Seahawks. Uh, Rick is based in L.A. as a photographer. He is also the photographer for the Los Angeles Rams. Rick, this is a neat assignment. How in the world did you go ahead and con the folks in Atlanta to let you go up there and get those amazing shots? Oh, well, first, Bill, thank you very much for having me. Um, It's truly an honor to be with you uh, today. Yeah, it was such an amazing assignment. You know, um, hats off to some of the creative people I get to work with on a daily basis. So this assignment was for NFL.com specifically. Um, It was actually my first time at the Georgia Dome, but I was um, definitely aware of the fact that they had a catwalk that was uniquely over the field. So my editor and I um, discussed it. And we decided to ask permission from the Falcons and the Georgia Dome for me to be able to photograph the first half of this game from the catwalk. Man, the view was phenomenal. First time you walk up there, you kind of, even myself, I'm not afraid of heights, but when you're looking down there, you're like, oh my gosh, you have to take a second to really just grasp how high up you are. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's, um, it's just a unique perspective. And um, having the Georgia Dome not being around anymore, I'm, I'm going to you know miss having that opportunity, but I'm so happy that I had ability to experience that one time for myself. And definitely, like you said, just seeing the play from above, you could, it was almost like a video game slash seeing it up just from the the viewpoint, a different viewpoint that you don't normally see a football game. I would imagine watching anything from up there, the overpowering sense of height and uh, the visual distortion issues must have been amazing up there. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, definitely looking above, like you said, you, I, I was really focusing in on what I was going to take and what I was, you know, composing the shots. So that was the majority of my mindset. But in between plays, you had to walk to the next location on the catwalk. It, it was uh, the Georgia Dome is made in kind of an oval shape. And so it, um, the catwalk mirrors that oval shape. Um, in the photographs, I did some wide photographs and I did some, some close telephotos and just changing up the angle really allowed I was hoping to show the viewer what I was what I was seeing from my perspective and just trying to show them hey you could you could see the play like you said very closely like I have a photo of the huddle of all the Falcons players getting together very closely and you can even see Matt Ryan talking to the players and then I did some wider shots of a touchdown where you can even see some of the fans um, cheering after a play I had one of the photos that I got a lot of popularity from is the national anthem photo Mm -hmm. where you actually see the American flag on the football field in the shape of the United States. 
And for that photo, it, it shows the whole stadium. And I use a specialty lens. It's an eight millimeter fisheye lens. So it has a 180 degree view. And so that allowed me to show basically everything that was below me. And um, that one was a little bit riskier how to um, kind of angle myself perfectly. I wanted to be, first of all, dead center to show the angle. And then secondly, had to definitely um, position myself to where I could get a clear view of the whole stadium around the image. In addition to your work uh, on projects such as this, you have good ties to the NFL through the Los Angeles Rams, where you are their team photographer. And that means that you are doing a lot of work in the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. What is it like to take uh, great football pictures in that iconic venue? Yes, I've been actually based in L.A. for the last eight years, so I've had the privilege of photographing at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum for all those years, photographing SC games. And when the Los Angeles Rams moved, or when the St. Louis Rams moved to L.A., becoming the Los Angeles Rams, I was a very good fit for the organization with my, ability, um, with my experience shooting NFL games and college games and being located in Los Angeles. It's such a historic venue and to be able to say that, you know, the Olympics were held there and just so many venues and to see the tradition of the, you know, one of my favorite places is that huge tunnel. Um, I don't know how familiar people are where the players enter from. It's just a massive tunnel that you don't see anymore. And also the stadium is, is wide open and the sun just comes in um, on those Southern California days and it's just a beautiful stadium to to photograph an historic one to be at well this is a lot of fun and again let us refer everybody to your wonderful site tapiaphoto.com and petapixel.com slash 2017 and then you can take it right from there uh the uh, nfl game stadium catwalk pictures they are fantastic and uh rick keep that parachute handy for any future assignments now Oh, I definitely will. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Rick. Rick Tapia, and what an assignment he had. A little something extra to tell you about NFL playoff football. Coming up, we examine the week's stadium headlines. Mark Madoran is standing by at the water cooler, and we will join him next as we talk shop on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. An interesting talking shop awaits you, and it's time to talk shop. We examine 
this week's stadium headlines. And for that, we welcome in Mark Medoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. If you listen to this program, you know the move of the Chargers from San Diego to Los Angeles has not gotten off to a particularly good start. Now comes word that some NFL owners are grumbling behind the scenes about this move. Mark, is uh, this a case of uh, some NFL buyers having a little buyer's remorse? Well, the NFL owners, and we'll call them the Billionaire Social Club as a nickname, (laughs) is having second thoughts about the Chargers' move to L.A. Many owners want to see the Chargers return to San Diego, but the owners have themselves to blame for this. They gave the Chargers the option, 12 months, to exercise it to move to Los Angeles. They were working on a stadium deal in San Diego. It didn't get done. The city didn't really go out of their way to try and make it happen. Hmm. And there really wasn't much progress. And Dean Spanos really had no place else to go. But the other owners realized that at least for now, this is a done deal. Um, He has signed a lease. He's going to be a tenant with Kroenke. There's no way to get out of that. And I don't know what the lease terms are. As far as I know, they have not yet been made public. Spanos could work on securing a new stadium uh, in San Diego. He actually has been working on it for 10 years already or more, (laughs) and it just never happened. So we'll have to wait and see how it all shakes out. But for now, let's not even think about the San Diego Chargers. They're the L.A. Chargers, and they're going to be that way for some time. We are one week away, Mark, from Super Bowl 51 in Houston. Very interesting story taking place here on the secondary ticket market. What is it? Super Bowl prices this year are not as strong as they have been in previous years. And at this point, prices seem to be falling. Before the Sunday championship games, when we didn't know which teams would be going, uh, the price of a Super Bowl ticket on the secondary market, the minimum price, the get-in price, would be $36.80, $3,000 to get in. And the median uh, price was about $5,700. Now that we know which two teams are playing, the prices have fallen. Now the get-in price is down to $26.98, and the median price is around $5,000. So it seems that these two teams are not getting much support from their local fans compared to what we've had in the past. So we'll have to wait and see the big games a week away in Houston. So things could particularly change closer to game time. Here's an interesting story, Mark. Yet another example of a uh, a very unusual circumstance with the NFL. The league is not going to allow a Super Bowl watch party, which Atlanta was trying to get going, at the Georgia Dome. Let's unpack this a little bit. What's it all about? Well, the Falcons dismantled and spanked the Packers last weekend, and they thought that would be the last football game ever on that field. But the people at the Georgia Dome had a great idea. Let's have a Super Bowl party here. It'll be like a giant party atmosphere with a giant theater, mm-hmm. and we'll watch the Super Bowl on the big screens, and they'll have an enthusiastic Atlanta crowd, and they'll hope to raise some money for charity by charging a small fee to get in, and the money will all go to some charitable cause. But not so much. The NFL won't permit it. Number one, it's against NFL rules. And number two, the NFL is pretty greedy. If they put 70,000 fans into the Georgia Dome, that's going to cut the viewing numbers for TV ratings, and it's going to hurt them slightly. Mm. But 
this is kind of a, a silly idea. The ratings won't be hurt that much. There's 110 million people watching. And of the 70,000 fans, that's not 70,000 households watching the game. That's probably more like 20,000 households. Mm -hmm. So you can't make the argument that this is going to change their rating numbers because the number of viewers will be uh, uh, less. I think it's a great idea. And I think the NFL will be wise to revisit this policy and put some numbers back in the community by raising a little money there at the Georgia Dome. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. All right, Mark, it's time to roll back the clock and take a look at some important dates in stadium and ballpark history. And what do you have for us this week? Well, this week in 1956, the New York football giants move out of the polo grounds and into Yankee Stadium. 1983, the famous Mud Bowl game took place at the AFC Championship in Miami's Orange Bowl. Dolphins coach Don Shula famously ordered the grounds crew not to cover the field despite heavy rains in Miami prior to the game. The resulting muddy conditions slowed down the powerful New York Jets running attack and helped Miami to a 14 to nothing win. And this week in 1988, the second largest NBA crowd fills the Pontiac Silverdome. 61,983 watch as the Pistons beat the Celtics. And now, Bill, before we get out of here, it's time for our weekly segment known as Stadiums USA Trivia. Mm -hmm. And this question, along with many others, can be found at our stadiumsusa.com website. This is a question right up your alley, <laughs> talking about NBA attendance. All right. We just talked about the second largest attendance in the history of the NBA. That took place at the Pontiac Silverdome. Can you name the venue that hosted the largest crowd to ever witness an NBA game? Was it the Kingdome in Seattle? Mm -hmm. Was it the Pontiac Silverdome? Mm -hmm. Was it the Georgia Dome in Atlanta? Mm -hmm. Or was it the Superdome in New Orleans? Yes, indeed. Or uh, if we included the All-Star game, which is not included, you have to also add Cowboy Stadium in there, which had over 100,000. <laughs> but that's another thing. That's not relevant to this question. All right. Well, I'm going to throw uh, the Georgia Dome out of there for something we've already mentioned earlier in the program. The fans are pretty <laughs> soft. I don't think you could get 80,000 uh, Georgia fans to go watch an NBA game. Uh, I don't think it was the Superdome. Uh, the Kingdom is a little bit on the smaller side, although they had great crowds there, and I did a number of games from there. My guess is it's uh, the Pontiac Silverdome with a larger crowd than the one we mentioned. An excellent guess, <laughs> but incorrect. Jeez. The answer was the Georgia Dome. <laughs> I don't believe it. 62,046 witnessed the Chicago Bulls versus the Atlanta Hawks hmm. in 1998. The massive crowd came to cheer the home team Hawks, but the Bulls ruined their plans, 89-74. And surprise, I'll bet you can guess who the leading scorer was. <laughs> for both teams. I bet you <laughs> I can guess Michael Jordan and Dominic Wilkins probably of were the two leading scorers in that game. Michael Jordan led the way with 34 points Ooh. to uh, in front of the biggest crowd to ever witness a regular season NBA game. Well, that is an absolute stunner. I never would have figured that one. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Have a great week, Bill. 
YouTube Mark, Mark Medoran, We Talk Shop. Now coming up, we'll have a conversation with Basketball Hall of Famer Artis Gilmore, who talks about the many arenas he played in through his pro basketball career. That is next on SB Nation Radio. If you take a look at all of the great players in the Naismith Hall of Fame, you're going to find our next guest as one of those, and he has a great basketball memory and great memories of some of the great basketball stadiums that he has played in. His name is Artis Gilmore, and many of you, and certainly I as a former NBA broadcaster, remember him very, very well. Artis, it's great to have you as a guest. Thanks for joining us. Thank you uh, very much, Bill. I appreciate you uh, allowing me to spend a little bit of time on your show. Well, it is a pleasure, and I certainly wanted to share some of your great memories of stadiums from your past. Now, your route into pro basketball came through the American Basketball Association. In those days, I was in college at Butler University. I remember your great matchups with Mel Daniels and the great uh, Indiana Pacer-Kentucky Colonel rivalry. It was fantastic. On your end, the Kentucky Colonel end, you played in beautiful Freedom Hall. Tell us about that arena, and it was a big arena. I remember that because I've seen several games there. Tell us what it was like to play there. The fans and between the Kentucky and Indiana series, it was always pretty, really, really good matchups and a lot of fun and certainly a lot of energy in the ball game. The play at Freedom Hall was a really special place to play. We had uh, a, a very good support. To play in Freedom Hall, and, and especially in those early days, uh, the ABA certainly was uh, in some ways struggling to bring fans in, but I don't think, uh, in fact, Kentucky never really had an issue with uh, fan support and, and, you know, of course, playing in a very nice facility like uh, Freedom Hall really, really was not an issue as far as uh, receiving the fan support. Dan Issel was one of your teammates, I remember. That was an awfully powerful front line that you had there, and they could do an awful lot of things. I really felt that team, even then, would have been extremely competitive with uh, any NBA team. You also had some great guard play on that team, as I recall. Uh, yes, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Issel was a tremendous uh, teammate. And, of course, we ended up uh, winning our first in and the only championship in 1975. And, of course, uh, uh, all of that took place in the uh, Freedom Hall facility. Uh, and, and you mentioned the fact that we had great guard matchup. Louis Dampier, you know, played for Kentucky and uh, quite a, a probably two of the four years before he played with Pat Riley in the earlier years uh, at Kentucky. And certainly he was one of our uh, really uh, leaders, uh, captains on the, on the team, on the Kentucky Colonels. And uh, he provided just experience and uh, certainly a very uh, tremendous amount of uh, knowledge 
uh, as far as leadership on that, that particular team. When the NBA amalgamation occurred, you ended up in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls, who originally drafted you in the time that both leagues were uh, holding drafts. You chose the ABA route, and eventually you ended up back in Chicago, and that meant you played in Chicago Stadium, and of course that place really rocked. Uh, tell us about the stadium and your impressions of it. Oh, the stadium was a, a very u- unique place. It was an older place. We, in fact, we had to travel up escalated type of staircase. It was tough going up and down that case, getting prepared to go in for halftime and at the game. And of course, uh, one of the, the things that we kind of created, uh, in fact, we were the first team to create the uh, the situation in Chicago Stadium where you turn the lights down and introduce the players. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you had this huge roar and crowd, and, and they were just really into the ball game. You know, one of the, the, the great places and a great creative environment was the uh, old Chicago Stadium. Whenever uh, we had a very competitive game or in the playoffs, it certainly was just an incredible environment to play in and just as loud as any arena during that particular time frame. I wonder, as you went around the league, share some of your favorite arenas. What were the ones that you enjoyed playing in the most? Well, uh, if you had to reflect on some of the the old Madison Square Garden was a great place to play. Of course, the form uh, in L.A. with the Lakers was a, a, another outstanding place to play and i mean there's only there's a couple of of very special places to play in you know even going back a little bit farther if you go back uh uh, in maryland cole field house when i was in college playing for a national championship it just uh there's a huge uh place a number of places around the country that i enjoyed playing i it was kind of tough playing out in Portland because they had, uh, you know, in the early years, they had this little small uh, facility and, and the floor were not very good. Playing in Boston Garden, that's you know, a tremendous amount of history and former great, great players, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, uh, uh, John Havlicek, just a tremendous amount of uh history of, of, of great players and, and, and great athletes that played in, in Boston Garden, you know, and Larry Bird had an opportunity to play with him for just two quick two minutes. He and and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish for just uh, I guess that was just a minute. They said, use that term uh, I had uh, a cup of coffee, even though I don't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a great place to play in, in, in Boston Garden as well. Artists, we want to wish you all the best. I'm sure it's a, a great joy for many of our listeners to hear your voice again, hear what you're up to, and the memories that you share about your playing days. A lot of fun. I hope we can visit again. Thank you very much, Bill, and, and I look forward to it. I do, too. Artist Gilmore, our guest. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying thanks for being with us and inviting you to come back and join us again next week. Straight ahead, a full day of sports coverage coming your way on SB Nation Radio.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.